Welcome to Pregnancy Help Podcast. My name's Christine Grimmett, and my special guest for this episode is part of our Letter to Myself series. This is part three, where I invite friends in the pregnancy help ministry to share their stories, their life experiences with us. But before I introduce my colleague here, I want to highlight our sponsor, which is Pregnancy Help News. It's powered by Heartbeat International. Heartbeat has over 2,800 pregnancy help locations around the world, and this year we're celebrating our 50th birthday as an organization. You can join in on that celebration for a week of training at our annual conference this April, where we will have both in-person and online conference options. You can visit heartbeatservices.org for more information. So if you've been to our conference or to Pregnancy Help Institute, you've probably met our guest for today. He's also a regular writer for Pregnancy Help News, and maybe you've had him speak at your fundraising banquet. We have the one and only Kirk Walden with us today. Welcome, Kirk. It is great to be with you, Christine. Thanks for the introduction. Sure. Kirk, is uh, you're our advancement specialist here at Arbeet International. You know about raising funds for centers but your background consists of some other roles. Um, and according to the article that you wrote that we're going to talk about today, that includes different roles such as sports writer, professional golfer, newspaper ad salesman, and office furniture representative, and of course, executive director of a pregnancy center. So that is a variety of things that you've done in your life so far. Uh, we know there's more to come, but we're going to talk about the different things that led you to where you are. We're going to dive into your recent Pregnancy Help News article titled 30 Years of Lessons Learned. So if that's okay with you, I'm going to start us off by having you read through your article. Sure. I'd be glad to do that because it was 30 years ago this spring when I stepped through the doors of what is now Women's Hope Medical Clinic as its new executive director there in Auburn, Alabama, uh, in the Deep South. I was 28 years old. I knew almost zero about Pregnancy Help Ministry. My background, as you said, I've been a sports writer, a retired professional golfer because of lack of talent. Uh, I was a newspaper ad salesman. I used to sell office products and furniture, all of those things, which is perfect for leading a pregnancy help ministry, right? Uh, What other experience did I need? But within three months, um, it's interesting, within three months of stepping into that door, I took a ministry short on funding, but filled with great heart. And I brought it to the brink of financial ruin. (laughs) Uh, Pro tip here, when a board member says it's time to shut off the phone, it was one of our largest bills at the time, and shut down the ministry, it ain't good. I can say ain't because I'm from the South. Uh, I won't forget a prayer I blurted out toward the end of that season of struggle. Battling to go to sleep one night, I told God sarcastically, thanks a ton for giving me this opportunity. I'll forever be known is a guy who took a strong ministry and ran it into the ground. I'll be unemployed in a few weeks. Thanks to your calling. Well done. And with that, after raging at God, I rolled over and went to sleep without a moment of remorse. None. This led to the first of four lessons I try to keep in mind 30 years later. Lesson one is to be real with God. I'll admit that prayer wasn't my finest moment, but somehow God didn't give up on this struggling follower. In a few days, a check showed up, and I can tell you exactly how much it was. It was $7,812. But that check showed up, which got us through that month and maybe the next month as well. From there, we rethought our development plan, and many of the ideas I teach today came from those days. We never closed our doors. Our budget grew, as did the services we offered. 
we bought our building and we opened one of the early pregnancy help medical clinics. Client numbers soared, lives were changed, all because God didn't toss me or the ministry aside when I was angry with our circumstances. One thing I think I did right in that prayer, though I could have been a lot more respectful and reverent, God's okay with our honesty. If we're hurting, it's okay to tell him. He's big enough to handle it. And that's my first lesson. Be real with God. The second lesson is that God works with anyone. Sitting down at my first statewide meeting of executive directors in that first few months, I felt a tinge of fear. Looking around the room, I wondered what would happen when some of the leaders in the room went on to other pursuits or retired. After all, they had so much knowledge, so much insight, so much wisdom. It seemed incomprehensible that anyone could live, live up to their legacy. Who, I asked myself, could possibly take their places? Now, here I am 30 years later, and there are those who see me. This, this person is a leader. I'm asked questions daily like, I'm in this situation. What do you think about this decision? Now, not everybody heeds my answers, and this may be good because I'm not always right, but they're asking. They're seeing me as a leader 30 years later. One thing I've come to understand is that if we simply show up for enough days and do our best to stick with the calling, God will use us in ways we cannot imagine. I tell the story often, Christine, that before ever being hired, I told our board of directors that there were two big weaknesses in my resume. One, I wasn't a public speaker and would struggle in this area. It just scared me to death to stand in front of people and talk about anything, uh, much less a ministry that I was just getting to know. But second, I said, fundraising is not my jam. I didn't use that word as it wasn't yet in use, but you get the drift. In the few fundraising attempts I'd made to that point in my life at 28 years old, I had failed miserably. Now today, two of my main contributions to the pregnancy help community involve public speaking, and you guessed it, fundraising. Yep, God uses any of us. In fact, there's something in the Bible about where we're weak, he's strong. It's a good verse for all of us. Third, our mistakes create opportunities to learn. Years ago, I heard a high school graduation speech entitled, In Defense of Failure. The head of school told his graduates of the many times he failed and how each failure led to a victory, which would have never been achieved without the failure. So it is for us. I could go on for thousands of words in writing this if I documented my failures over 30 years. But each of those failures helped me learn and teach others, even if it's just, I tried this, don't do it. Over time, I've learned that when there's a failure, it's a great opportunity to ask, what if I had done it this way instead? Or maybe by listening to someone else before leaping ahead, we might have avoided many of the problems we've encountered. I've also learned to listen first to those who failed and tried again. Sometimes I'll hear of a great fundraising idea or an amazing way to reach clients. If it is a first try success, I'm admittedly skeptical, willing to wait for more long-term results. But if the person presenting the idea talks of the failed defense or, or failed attempts before finding success, I'm all ears. Fourth, the final thing I've, well, I keep learning, Christine, but the final thing I've learned is that vulnerability matters. There are a few things I enjoy more than hearing someone tell their story of how they got into this work. Often these stories start with, I had no intention of, and off we go. What draws me to these stories and the people who tell them is vulnerability. Show me someone who has it all together, and I have to question whether this person will last long in this ministry. But give me the person who's vulnerable and open, 
and I'll show you someone who can connect with coworkers and clients in a powerful way. After 30 years in this, I'll never forget that first day on the job. It's a great memory, but I always want to remember the memory made tomorrow can be even better as long as I keep learning the lessons which unfold today. So that's kind of what I wrote. Awesome. Thank you. The thing that struck me from the very beginning, um, I had not realized that you were 28 years old when you started at the center, when you were the executive director. So I'm 27. And that to me, I was like, nope, don't want that role right now. But I have met some who are even younger at Pregnancy Help Institute in the new director track. And I think that's a big job. That's for me, I would be the one saying I'm too young. I'm not qualified. How does somebody with your background, if we talked about these other jobs that you had previously, how do you even end up there? Were you familiar with pregnancy help growing up in some way? How does somebody go from sports writing to executive director of a pregnancy center? That's that's a great question. I got started when I was 18. A pastor shared a sermon on the sanctity of life. I was a brand new Christian. I had just become a Christian the spring before. This was the fall of 1980. And the pastor shared this message. And right then I said, Lord, I want to be on the front lines of this. This is where I want to be placed. And I prayed that prayer and I thought it'd be the political realm or public policy, something like that. But over time, I got to know our pregnancy center a little bit because the director of the center was a pastor. He was a pastor. And uh, he actually taught my Sunday school class. And so I got to know him and I asked him, how do I get involved in pro-life stuff? And I supported the center financially. But as I mentioned in the, the letter that I wrote to myself, I still really didn't know what went on there. Oh, they give out Bibles. They they share the Lord with people. They give out diapers and wipes and, and do nice things, right? But I really didn't see a pregnancy center as the front line. But when this this guy left to go to a larger center, in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, I told a friend, I said, I would hate to be the person that has to fill his shoes because I knew he'd done a great job. And, and I was like, boy, I don't know if they'll find anybody. And uh, and he called me one night. And as soon as I picked up the phone, my stomach just dropped because I thought he's going to ask me to apply. I just knew it. And I thought, I don't want to do this. Well, he took me out to Chuck's Barbecue in Opelika, Alabama, the big city there, and we sat down and he asked me to apply and I did it only as a favor to him. And as I went through the interview process, I realized, I said, this, this is really important stuff. But to be honest with you, Christine, I thought I'll do this for two or three years in this nice little pregnancy center with a $67,000 budget. And then I'll do something big. God is going to give me something big to do. I'll go to, you know, I'll go to Washington or whatever. And, uh, and here I am 30 years later still working in this ministry. I'm not an executive director anymore, but I walked in there and I took the job basically on faith. Uh, I was selling office products and office furniture uh, at, a, at Auburn University, which I did contract furniture jobs and that sort of thing. So that's not exactly preparation for this work, but all I had was a heart. And God said, I'll, I'll take it from there. I knew nothing when I walked in the door. I'm thankful that a lot of people walk in the door now know a lot about what they're doing when they walk in. But back in those days, we were all trying to re trying to invent what this should look like. And so there wasn't a lot of connection between us. As you know, there was no internet or anything like that. And if we went to a conference and learned something, it was just all we knew. So uh, we were we were trying from scratch to figure out how to do this stuff. That's amazing. 
I guess I had known a little bit of that story, but not very much of it, to be honest. So it's always fun to go back and say, what are you doing here? How did this actually happen? So you've done a lot of different things within Pregnancy Help from executive director, which still is incredible to me that that's where you dove in at. You started right there at the leadership position. You've done different roles throughout. So you've done different fundraising jobs to, I don't know, you've just done a little bit of everything. What are some of the other pregnancy help uh, roles that you've taken on since then? Yeah. After 10 years as an executive director, I became a single dad, not by choice. And I was raising three kids on my own and I wanted to be close to them. And I thought I've got to find a job to be close to them. And I ended up at their school as development director, which actually helped me more for the role I'm in now with Heartbeat. It was one of those things, six years, that's what I did. And at that time, I started a little publication called Life Trends, where I would send each month to subscribing centers articles that they could put in their newsletter and just put their the name of the center in there. And I would just come up with these articles because my degree was in journalism. So I, I use that to stay in. And then I would do a little consulting from time to time. And I started speaking at events. And so I would work at the school during the day and they graciously offered me enough days off to where I could jump on a plane. I I remember one time I I dropped the kids at school one morning, jumped on a plane to Pittsburgh, uh, spoke for a center right outside Pittsburgh. I I can't even say Pittsburgh anymore. I'm a public speaker. I can't say Pittsburgh. But I spoke at a banquet in, in Coriopolis Moon Township up there and that night. And then I flew back early the next morning so I could be back at the school by 945 uh, for the students break time. And nobody knew I was gone, which kind of tells you what kind of job I must have been doing. I was gone for a day and nobody knew it. But um, I was able to do that and stay involved in pregnancy centers. And it was great. I did that for six years. And while I was doing that, doing consulting on weekends, uh, training centers on banquets and golf tournaments and walks and all those things through what was then the alternatives group. Mm-hmm. And now is Life Steward Ministry. So I did that. And then uh, when I married Jennifer, uh, she said she believed in me enough, this, this crazy girl. She said, why don't you take what you're doing full time? She was teaching at a school and uh, we all moved up here, me and the three kids. And And we started working together. And then I began doing this more and more building life trends until I became partners with Heartbeat in 2009. Uh, So Jarrell approached me at a conference and uh, took on my publication, which was called Life Trends Monthly. And then we changed the name over the years. And then I came in staff on staff here in 2014. But I've served as a board member. I've served as a volunteer I've served as a coach uh, for directors when they call, and of course, the advancement uh, fundraising theme as well. So yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot I haven't done. And now we'll be moving into a new realm where we're going to help centers in their spiritual growth with a series of podcasts that uh, we're going to be doing later this year. That's great. So you never really got your foot out of the door of pregnancy help work, and then it led you full circle right back into serving full-time in that ministry. So that's awesome. So let's back up to the beginning of your article when you talked about being in a center, you were executive director at this point, 28 years old, and there was financial struggle. And you felt like, uh, in in your words, that you were going to be the guy who ran it into the ground. Um, so that's a little bleak. And you were a little upset with God about that. And, and I think we can all relate to that, right? Being in a 
pretty low place and uh, being real with God. But you kind of mentioned how you think, you know, maybe God appreciates that being real with him and just bringing that struggle completely before him. How did you go past that? Because clearly now you and God have worked things out. So how do you get to that point of complete frustration and why am I here and move past that to success for you and for the center and obviously with your relationship with God? Yeah, there's there's growth all the way along the line. And I think you mentioned the, the key to the whole thing was I was still, I'd known the Lord for 10 years and that was about it. You know, I, I knew nothing about God until I was 17 years old. And here I was, 28, still trying to walk this road. And we're not perfect 10 years in, and we're not perfect whatever it is now, 31 years in or 41 years in as I am now. But I think when I reached that time, I was scared. And and fear leads us, you know, to, to frustration, obviously, and I just thought, oh, my goodness, this ministry is going to shut down and everybody is going to view it as my fault. And I think that's that's the interesting thing is we do get focused on ourselves and we forget that God is trying to do some work here and he's not done even if we can't see it. And one of my definitions of faith, which I hang on to now, is faith is waking up in the morning looking at whatever circumstance and say, God is with me. And I did not feel like he was with me. But if we can read the Psalms, we go through and we have a lot of people writing things where they don't believe God is with them. And they're very upset. And he's okay with that. I think the important thing is that we're we're real with him. And uh, not that we need to wake up every morning and just uh, scream at God in anger. That's not what I'm talking about. But I think as we're real with him and say, I'm hurting here. I'm afraid this is going to go under and I'm afraid I'm the problem here. What have I done wrong? And um, at that point in fundraising, I really believed, you know, if we just pray, God will bring in the funds. And yeah, I, I still believe that, but there were steps I needed to take in faith in fundraising. And I laid it out before our board. We're, we're in a tough spot. And then the check came in then later I would learn more about how to ask people for funds and not be so intimidated by the whole thing. Because really the reason that I had this righteous view of we won't ask, we will just let the Lord bring in the funds. I think the reason was fear because what God really wanted was for me to build relationships with people. Sometimes he'll bring in funds out of the view, but out, out of the blue. But in this case, the person who brought in the check knew about the problem and solved the problem for us for that month. Later, I would learn how to ask and not be intimidated, but to build relationships with people. Fundraising is a great opportunity to build great relationships, and those relationships lead to funding. And And I think it was just a learning process for me. Yeah, I love that that's the key because we know with pregnancy help work, that relationship is the, that's the big key to everything, right? That's what we talk about in the love approach. It sure is. And if you don't apply that to your donors as well, then you're not truly using the love approach. It, that goes with coworkers and clients and donors. It's all, this is one big community. And that that makes a lot of sense to me because I'm somebody who would, would totally hate the job of fundraiser. And that would actually give me anxiety every single day to say, are we going to make it? Are these numbers going to look okay? So fundraising to, to be the one, to be the expert at, at fundraising. I know that if there's questions, 
that affiliates have, you're my go-to person, right? You're the person who has created a lot of our manuals. You write the advancement trends. Um, and I was thinking of your lesson too that you were talking about in your article where you're looking around at, at a conference, I think it was, and you were saying, what are we going to do when these people retire? Or how would we survive without these people? These are my go-to people. And I think for me, I, I look around and see the same thing. I look around in our staff meetings and I say that. I think, boy, I hope these people never, ever want to retire because I need that person to go to when I have questions. Yeah, I can go to my supervisor and that person can go to their supervisor if they need more. We, we have people to go to for these questions. But what do you do when you're at the top and you're like, okay, great. Now what? Who do I talk to? You know, what do you do when you don't find those answers? Did you ever find yourself in that position where you're like, no, I'm the one who's supposed to come up with the answer to this. People are asking me these questions now. Yeah, I, I remember one thing that really meant a lot to me early on in my tenure there. I had a situation, I can't even recall what it was, Christine, but I prayed through it and I, I gave the counsel that I thought I needed to. Here I am 28 years old and I'm probably talking to parents of a college student who's pregnant like I'm supposed to be. Uh, some kind of wise sage or something. But whatever I talked about, I called my predecessor and I said, Bob, his name uh, is Bob Faust, and he's still a director in, in Alabama, in, uh, in Pelham, Alabama. But uh, I talked to Bob and I said, what I thought of was, what would Bob do? And he said, that's very kind. He said, but think about what would Jesus do? And I said, you're right. I need to shift my thinking a little bit. But I really believe it is our growth in faith where we reach that point. And it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. And it's okay that I was a little intimidated by these other people thinking what's going to happen when they leave the scene and wondering what that might be. Over time, we'll grow into it. And the biggest thing, I think, is to keep our humility. And you know, the, we're told, humble yourselves. Don't ask God to do it. Just humble yourself. And remember, I don't have all the answers. And I had a call just yesterday by uh, with an executive director who's dealing with some situations. And I thought, I don't have the answers. And sometimes I said, I'm not sure if this is right. What do you think? And, and I've learned I, I don't have all the answers. It's okay. God is really big and he can handle these things. And I just, it, it is an odd situation. I've talked with Jennifer, my wife, so many times about this and said, I just feel like it's weird that people are asking me all these questions and want my counsel on this. And like I said, not everybody may listen, and that's all right. I may not be right all the time, but God's big enough if I get it wrong. You know, he, he's really big enough. And so over time, we just tend to grow into it. And you know it because here you are. You said you're 27. Mm -hmm. People are asking you questions all the time now. And you're like, well, they're looking to me for advice. Why? Because I work with Heartbeat International and we know everything, right? Well, we don't, but we're doing the best we can to build up and encourage. And if we do that and we keep that attitude, it'll be fine. We'll be fine. Yeah. Well, and luckily we're in a point where it's easier to share information. You mentioned going to conference once a year and that's about all you can do because you can't just jump online. But now we've, we have uh, Facebook pages that we can do discussion boards on. We can email, we can save things that we can share with others later. So I love when somebody comes to me and says, here's something new I found out and then I can share it with the team and then we can spread that information around. So we're in a pretty good place with technology right now where that's helpful. Um, but it still doesn't replace the people, you know, me coming to you for that wisdom, for that center that's struggling financially. 
you have the stories so you can go back and say, you know what, I knew that same situation that happened or I was just at a banquet where that happened. So that part, that part's irreplaceable. So we really need that wisdom. Um, and that's why I love having these podcasts because I can kind of pull that out of you and get to capture that in a way that we can share it with others in a pretty easy format to access. Let's go on to number three. So your lesson three, you kind of talked about your mistakes create opportunities to learn. And and I liked what you talked about, um, that speech that you had listened to at one point about failure and how that, you know, that can be the step forward. Um, do you want to share any personal stories that you remember of times where failure actually led to success? No, I don't want to share any failures on my part. I want people <laughs> to think I have it all together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, I have a lot of those. For instance, I was uh, I, I used to train people in banquets and fundraising events. Well, I was the last person I felt like that needed training on my own as a director. I would get a call from what was in the alternatives group, now Life Steward Ministries, from Arthur Ellison, who was the president. He'd call me in San Diego and uh, from San Diego, call me in Alabama right when I got in the office and asked me, hey, why don't you do a, a walk training or a banquet training? And I said, no, 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 no. Well, I thought my banquet was the best around. I knew what I was doing. Thank you, Arthur. Appreciate you, man. But I know what I'm doing until I saw some numbers that were popping in from other groups. And I thought, well, let's give it a try. We did it. And our banquet w went from raising, and remember, this is in the early or mid-90s, went from raising about 18000 to 50000 in one try. And then it went to seventy-five, And now that banquet's gone over a quarter million dollars before I know uh, in that little small town. Well, I tell people, folks, it took me three or four years to say yes to that. And by not saying yes, I threw away probably a quarter million dollars that we could have had in funding because I knew best. And I think we always need to be open to new ideas. Another one is about asking people. Had a little old lady that gave us about a thousand or $2,500 at a time and and uh, I thought that was so nice. And I'd thank her. And this poor little widow was giving the widow's might, right? And so I'd never asked her for anything. Well, a few years later, when I'm working at the Christian school, her name came up as we were talking about a capital campaign. And our consultant said, we need to ask her for a million dollars. And I said, what? I didn't, I didn't want to talk about what I knew about her giving at the center. That breached confidentiality. But I just looked at our consultant kind of funny. He said, Kirk, he, he knew by looking at my eyes. He said, she's probably got 600000 in her checking account. They own a lot of stock in this little company called Coca-Cola, and they're doing quite well. And I just thought, oh, my goodness. I had never known that, but I had never asked. And I don't know how much in giving I gave up by not asking and I, I would at the school. I built a relationship with her. We'd go to lunch, and and she was one of our best givers over time. But I learned a lesson there: don't look at somebody and make up your own mind as to what they can give. You never know until you get to know them a little better and ask. So my mistakes, yes, I've made I've made more than a few, but I always pass those on when I'm teaching, because uh, anybody listening to this who's been in a one day. Uh, in-depth day with me has probably heard both of those stories because I want to learn from my mistakes. Yeah. 
Is it hard to move past that? Or are you somebody who's kind of like, you know what, it's in the past, I can move on? Or um, are you somebody that has to tell yourself that over and over? Uh, do you want the Christian answer or the real answer? <laughs> the, the real Christian answer, answer, but you can give whichever one you feel like. <laughs> I'll start with a Christian answer. God forgives us for our mistakes. Let's just move on. I have gotten to the point where I've moved on from those, but they really hit hard when I think of what I thought, oh, Kirk, how could you? But I learned so much and I've helped so many centers, I believe, by sharing those stories that it was well worth it. And so I am thankful for the mistakes now, but it didn't happen overnight. I didn't move on as soon as I caught the problem. I mean, as soon as that consultant looked at me and said she could give a million dollars easily, and I'm sitting here going, how much did I cost the center? It didn't overnight. I didn't say, oh, I'm good. I learned them. You know, it took a while. But now that I have, I'm very thankful for the lesson I learned that day. Because I think it's helped a lot of other people. I was going to say that takes a lot of uh, boldness and courage to share that too, to admit to that. Um, so we appreciate your honesty there. I think that's one of the things I want to do most is when I speak at events, I'm vulnerable about things that happen in my life. And mm -hmm. uh, I notice that people come up and saying, thanks for being transparent. I think we need more of that in the Christian community. We need fewer people who've got it together, ready to teach others and more of us who go, you know, I'm growing and I'm getting better. I love my relationship with the Lord, but it didn't come without some bumps and bruises along the way. Yeah. Well, and that vulnerability, that was your lesson four in your article. So I wanted to talk about that for a minute um, because I think that might be the toughest lesson of all. That's where you're at this position of leadership or somebody who should have it together. Um, and, and you're the one now in this position where you can say, yes, I'm a leader, but yes, let me tell you my mistakes. Um, and, and the quote that you said in your article was, give me the person who is vulnerable and open, and I'll show you someone who can connect with coworkers and clients in a powerful way. And again, it's that relationship part. So I, I really do think that that might be, to me, at least the number one lesson in leadership is, is how you can relate to the clients, to your coworkers, to the people who are around you in a very personal way, even though that's difficult because you don't want to show... You don't want it to look like a weak leader, but you want to also look like somebody who you can relate to. So how do you balance those two and just create a healthy sense of vulnerability? That's that's very important balance to have because we don't want to walk in and be the leader who barfs all of our problems all over everybody else and walks out and says, well, I've been vulnerable. That's great. We have to be wise in when we share and how we share certain things. But I do believe it's important that we don't act like we've always known everything and that we've got, as I say, we've got it all together because there are times when we're able to say, you know, I'm struggling right now, gang, but I'll tell you this, I know God and I know he's for us and I know he's going to get us through this time. Uh, vulnerability is a big deal. And like I said, I've seen so many people over 30 years who knew the answers and, and I love everybody in this in, in the life affirming community, but I would see them in different places and they I know exactly what to do, Kurt. I got this and this is how we always do it. And and I just smile and say that that's great, because there's not a whole lot I can say at that point. But I've noticed that a lot of people who have it together one day are gone not too far after because their bubble gets burst at some point and they burn out quicker. Hey, if we can be real with each other 
And we can say, you know, I'm struggling with how to deal with this situation, not in a way that we talk about others negatively or anything like that. But if we can be vulnerable and we can be real. And I love that that the story still reminds me when I go back, when I met with our board for before I was hired and said, I'm not a public speaker. I am not a fundraiser. Two things I don't do. And now that I'm able to do that, albeit an event, and I will share that story a lot of times and, and people will laugh and then we'll get to the end and talk about funding. And I'll say, look, you don't have anything to fear from me because I'm not the greatest public speaker. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm not. I will stumble over my words. You may have heard it unless you edit it out of this podcast really well. <laughs> you have heard me stumble over my words. I don't get everything right. But I tell people this, and I think this is the key to vulnerability. I say this, you will not find someone who cares more about this ministry and what we're doing. Let's say I'm at an event who cares more about what we're doing tonight because it does matter to me. And if we walk in the door of our center and we know, God, I'm struggling or God, you know, I'm not at a great place right now, but I know this matters and I care. And I'm going to care about those people in here. I'm going to love them with everything I've got. Start with my coworkers. I'm going to love them, love them and love them again. If there's conflict, I'm going to do my best to love them to resolution. And then, and then we're going to love those clients who come in the door. It starts with us, vulnerable, real with each other, loving each other. And then if we can expand that, it'll go to our clients. Our clients will see it. It'll be palpable if we get love right and vulnerability is part of that. If we get that right, we'll see more lives saved and more lives changed by what we do. And I believe vulnerable, 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 vulnerability is a key to that. <laughs> I agree. hundred percent agree. I can't say it, but I believe in it. Yeah. I want to really thank you for sharing these, um, these vulnerable stories, these real stories. And uh, if anyone's a frequent reader of Pregnancy Help News and your, um, your weekly article, right? You do those weekly. I do. Those show personal stories. And I enjoy reading that. I think that has, has some of the most weight is when we can share those stories with the audience. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you for continuing to serve in the pregnancy help ministry. Do you have any last closing thoughts that you want to share with new leaders in the movement or those who are just looking for a little bit of encouragement today? I think I'll close with this. 80 to 90% of success is just showing up. There will be days that are a battle. And that's kind of where we've leaned in this podcast. There will be days where there's a battle and I get it. Just show up the next day and the next day and the next day. God is faithful. He'll stick with you if you'll just keep showing up, even if you don't want to. You know, even if you don't feel like it, you just keep showing up. Put a smile on your face best you can and love that person next to you. And and you will get through that time. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you to our listeners for hanging out with us today. For this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit subscribe or share with someone else that you feel could benefit. Or if you want to join in the conversation, if you have comments or questions, um, feel free to email me at support at heartbeatinternational.org. And again, I want to mention our sponsor today's Pregnancy Help News is powered by Heartbeat International. And that's where you can go to stay updated on the pregnancy help world. You can go to pregnancyhelpnews.com. Thanks everyone for listening and have a blessed rest of your day.